The following podcast is brought to you by the BICBP Radio Network. First, I've also said brand new, but I guess technically it is brand new. Episode of Retro Pop. I am one of your hosts. I am Johnny Towns, and I'm joined by my co-host, my buddy, my pal, Matt Johnson. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me, Johnny. I'm happy to be a part. I know you've been talking about this show for forever. Uh, <laughs> seemingly forever. Five, five ever, ever, even. Yeah. Uh, as long as I've known you, and I appreciate you asking me to be a part of it. It's really good on my schedule. Um, everybody knows I have a million podcasts, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. This is going to be a fun concept to kind of open up uh, pop discussions uh, across all avenues, movies, video games, television, and, you know, just trends and stuff, I guess, over the years, too. So there's a, there's a lot we get to discuss with this. So thank you for having me on board. Oh, you're welcome, then. And that is true. Nothing is safe from us <laughs> on this show. Uh, every episode would be about a different subject in pop culture. Uh, it could be anything from, uh, like Matt was saying, video games to movies to, heck, it can be one week, it can be about, uh, you know, a musician or somebody. It, it doesn't matter. We're going to go all across the board. Yeah, here. you had Abraham Lincoln on your list, too. I'm excited, I'm excited yeah. to talk about Abraham Lincoln on this show. Like, when do I, I never get a chance to talk history so, with that sort of thing. So, yeah, we can definitely do that. Oh, you're in the right, you're in the right place then, because I... Love history and I love pop culture, so let's oh, put the two together. I know what I'm picking next week. <laughs> oh, Perfect. I can't wait! I can't wait. So our goal for this show is this will be a, a biweekly show, and uh, we hope you guys and gals enjoy and just stay along for the ride. And we'll get better and better as we do this. This is our first one, so bear with us. Uh, I, let's go ahead and introduce what we're talking about Absolutely. today, Matt. Uh, today uh, we're talking about. Nintendo, good old Nintendo. Uh, I figured since I see this as a sister episode, I mean sister show to my other show, Retro Bliss, cheap plug. I'll let Matt uh, cheaply plug his stuff in too, <laughs> uh, his other shows. Uh, and on that show, we talk about old school video games. So uh, Retro Pop, the first episode I felt should be uh, kind of uh, adjacent to that, and we're going to go into the world of Nintendo. Yeah, and I think it's a great topic, too. Uh, you know, me, I formerly a part of the Push Start podcast. Uh, you know, shout out to those guys, Seaham and Caddy, for, uh, you know, just doing such a great job. V- video game, like, video games is like that mutual interest for myself and, and Johnny here. And Nintendo, it doesn't get much bigger than Nintendo from a historical perspective, uh, of video games, and I think it's yeah, I think it was the right choice to make for our first episode. Yeah, I think so too. So let's uh, let's first kind of get into uh, our personal history with Nintendo. Now, Matt, I'm not going to speak for you, but uh, I'm in my mid-30s, and I'm hurtling quickly to being even older. Uh, but when I was younger, the very first uh, system I remember my parents getting me for, I want to say, I think it was Christmas, was a Nintendo Entertainment System. And I had, of course, the original Mario with it, and I played the heck out of that thing. So if it wasn't for Nintendo, I don't. I know for a fact I would not have this giant love I have for video games that I have today. Yeah, that's a great point. Nintendo was a part, uh, you know, just important part of a lot of people's childhoods, and you know, it, I think it's great that you associate that with with being so young. When I think of Nintendo, I think of I associate like the '80s with Nintendo. I think when it when it comes to thinking uh, talking '80s, just Outright, I think Nintendo, Domino's Pizza, the Ninja Turtles, and 
<laughs> this is, you're just literally just listing things. I, out right? Out. <laughs> I, I just I just feel like they all go hand in hand. It's super. It's very 80s, yeah. um, which was before my time. Uh, keep in mind, I was born in 1991. So my the first system that I really really owned was a PS One. But prior to that, okay. prior yep. to that. Um, you know, I, I had my dad's, you know, leftovers, but I grew up, there's pictures of me, myself and my dad, you know, me being one year old, not knowing what's going on. And my dad playing the likes of Atari, uh, he, he still yeah. had his old NES and he had it, you know, very well into the nineties, uh, super Nintendo and so much more. And I've always liked Nintendo because here we are 2019 in the day and age where online gaming and single player is everything. And they are still, pushing that it's still family oriented i brought some would say some would say they're stubborn yeah <laughs> when, it, when it comes to the online and, stuff but yeah we'll get we to will that. get to that you know i do gotta <laughs> say most recently you know i'm all grown up i moved out of the house i'm married um i recently brag, brag. i know they don't i wouldn't call it brag. uh <laughs> i get it you're yes, an adult it I sucks get it. it sucks uh but recently, I bought a Nintendo Switch, and I went back over my dad's house, and my younger brother still lives there. He's eight years younger than than I. And you know what? It was the first time we all got to sit down and enjoy playing video games. It was the first time we yeah. sat down and got to do this together since the nine, the, since the early 2000s. You know what I mean? And it still brought us together. Yeah. The, the They've always been family-oriented with their stuff, and... That goes a long way with me. Yeah, I think you're kind of alluding to something, too, that to me makes Nintendo special. And is one of the main reasons I have so many great memories because of Nintendo is the whole fact that, uh, don't get me wrong, I enjoy playing games online with my friends. I do that all the time. But Nintendo has always, from day one, kind of encouraged couch yes. co-op. And I have so many fantastic memories of playing uh, video games with my friends growing up. We would be in the same room playing... Uh, you know, it, it didn't matter what it was. We we're playing all kinds of different video games. From the Ninja Turtle games, would be a great example. You know, just going through the streets, beating up foot soldiers <laughs> on our Nintendo. Such great memories, and I think that's one of the things that Nintendo has done a great job of, kind of keeping alive. Because the other systems, sort of, uh, you know, they're all about the online stuff, which I understand in, our t- in today's yeah. day and age. Uh, right now, Nintendo's kind of killing, doing really good with both. Uh, they have implemented online, yeah. but that has not been their number one focal point by any means. Which <laughs> no, which no is, not even close. You know, which is that's good for me. That's the stuff that I want to do. I hate playing games by myself. I really do. Um, you know, it's so it's nice to see that Nintendo still has those traditional values that I grew up with. Um, and I'll admit, there was a streak of time where I wasn't a Nintendo guy. Uh, once the PlayStation came out, I was very pro Sony. Um, in that respect, because yeah. but at the time Sony was very couch co-op, you know, asking in their game in their video game selection. Um, but still, Nintendo, very fond memories. Um, you know, growing up, my when my cousin lived with me, and my parents, you know, waking up early in the morning, so, summer break, and popping in the NES and, and playing those Ninja Turtle games, and and you know, it's just so many others. It, just what a, I mean, just a great game library, and it's still good to play. Oh gosh, this yeah. day. Like I can't. Oh, I can't play sure. those games by myself. I have a very short. I have the attention span of my my dog Prince over here, uh, and <laughs> it's not very. It's it's a very short attention span. But still, it's nice that I can go back and play those games on you know on the consoles or you know emulators, depending on who you are, what your values are as a gamer. Um, and play those games forever and ever, and just be mad when it's time to put it down. Uh, so that's that's where Nintendo lies for me. That's how important Nintendo is for um, it. It's it's very valuable uh, in in my life oh, yeah. life experiences. It is a lot of nostalgia. You hear the name, and you just get so many memories uh, of, of stuff. I feel warm and fuzzy every time I hear the words yeah. Nintendo. There's actually, it's yeah. funny. There's a, there's an old. Uh, I live in Niagara Falls, uh, Johnny. At, you, you, uh, just I brag know. again. It's, Goodness gracious! I get me, it. I'm not bragging. This city sucks. Uh, <laughs> but it was funny because there's this, there's this old battery store on one of the roads by by where I live. It was called Willard Willard Battery. But the the graphic 
the the way the logo and the font looked looked like Nintendo. So when I was like four or five years old, I remember saying to my dad, Dad, let's go to the Nintendo store. And he goes, that's not a Nintendo store, stupid. <laughs> that's a battery store. But... <laughs> Well, your dad's not told you. <laughs> that was me exaggerating. He did that. He... <laughs> Very exaggerating. But but, that, but that's that's how it, it was. And and like I said, yeah. I just I associate a lot of good memories with the, the name Nintendo. Well, let's get into the history of Nintendo. Now, before we get started on this, let me just say, obviously, I'm a, I'm a man from North Carolina, so there's a lot of Japanese names in this. I will do my best, but I promise I will mispronounce some of these, and I am sorry. <laughs> I have the utmost respect for these people. They are, honestly, some of these people are my heroes, and I feel really bad that I can't pronounce half their names, but that's just how it is. Uh, then, okay, Nintendo, this is where a lot of people think the name Nintendo came from. Nin, they're going to break us up. Nin, N-I-N, uh, means entrusted, and Ten Dao means heaven, and roughly translated, they think that means leave luck to heaven. It's an interesting choice, but I, I mean, it's, it's very, uh, I don't know, that's a Japanese culture kind of phrase, I would have to say. Um, yeah, and the reason, and, and I think a lot of people, when they hear Nintendo, they're like, well, how does this relate to video games? But the trick here is Nintendo was not always about video games, Matt. No, it wasn't. And in fact, Nintendo began all the way back in 1889. That is mind-blowing for me. Yeah, I was surprised when I learned that because, I mean, it were, when you don't know things, you're just like, oh, Nintendo, video games, this and that. But yeah. their long list of businesses is actually very deep. And it's kind of a huge testament that the owners of Nintendo over the years have been able to adapt to society's, yes. you know, ever-changing flow uh, and the demand, that, consumer that's demand. one thing Nintendo is very good at. Yeah, Nintendo is quite good at being able to, even in just in video games now, uh, trying to innovate and adapt with things. Uh, except for except online. For, yeah. <laughs> except for that. They refuse Still to adapt to that. Still a uh, so real quick, my sources are from gizmodo.com, threatless.com, mashable.com. I want to make sure I give those sites a shout out. Uh, but yeah, since 1889, it actually started as a very small business started by, and here's our first Japanese name, and I am sorry, uh, Fusa, Fusajiro Yama, Yamauchi? Fusajiro Yamauchi. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, Yamauchi. I'm going to go with that. Yeah, that sounds a lot better than what... Go I watch a lot of Japanese, Japanese wrestling, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, they, yes, that helps a lot. Yeah. Oh, uh, Nintendo! But the, but the very first thing Nintendo produced, of course, was playing cards. Uh, they were called Hanafuda cards. These were simple playing cards. Think of uh, our today. We have our you know our fifty-two card decks that we have. That pretty much every household has at least one of those type of deal. Uh, sort of similar to that, and these became fairly popular over time. Um, to the point where, and we'll, we'll get to this, but, uh, they would start putting other things on the cards, kind of like we do with our playing cards now, like, you know, we have uh, different characters and yeah, stuff on these like cards. A, you can find legit a set of playing cards for everything in life that you like. I've seen boobies, yeah. I've seen video game characters, uh, just everything. Yeah. Sometimes in one yeah. card. <laughs> it's crazy what, it's what crazy a great world. what they can do with playing cards nowadays. <laughs> yeah, well, what a great world we have. <laughs> I can get both those things on one card, and then my life is complete. <laughs> <laughs> so for all this time from 1889 on through uh, the 1900s, that's what Nintendo was known for, is for their playing cards. And you can actually, and they actually still sell those to this day. Uh, you can actually go online and find some of these the older playing cards, and some of them honestly are quite st uh, stunning to look at. They're very beautiful. They are. I mean, that, that was, you think back in that era, too, well, even like the early versions of it, uh, everything was like handmade, hand-painted, handcrafted. There wasn't yeah. this, you know, extensive factory-line stuff, at least not in Japan, who at that time was just starting to open up to the, uh, you know, the rest of the world. 18, like, 50s and 60s, well, up until the 1850s and 60s, Japan was very, very isolated, 
and and eventually oh, yeah. they started to open up their their horizons a little bit more. The, yeah, they were very isolated until Tom Cruise came there and was their last samurai. <laughs> And thankfully saved everything. Thank God for Tom Cruise. Uh, (laughs) What would Tom Cruise do? (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, he he shows up and and Japan's open to the world and and they got this amazing, you know, they they start to get a grasp of of the rest of culture. But at the time, too, playing cards were really emerging as a primary um, thing. And and not just in Japan, but across the, the, the rest of the world. You know, you think about that time, oh, yeah. the, uh, you know, for a lot of Americans that think, oh, wow, Wild West. And, you know, card playing games were very prevalent and a big part of culture, gambling, stuff like that. And in Japan, that obviously is a little different, but uh, it could be utilized in the same fashion. Yeah, I mean, this was before television. So and radio. There was and not radio a lot to too, do. Big. And, yeah, there wasn't a lot to do. You had to have something for entertainment in the past time. Uh, so playing cards, that's how they become popular. That was their entertainment back then. Uh, let's kind of fast forward to 1953, and the reason I'm doing this uh, is Yamauchi's grandson, uh, Hiroshi, takes over the company at this point. He's He now runs the company. Uh, and the reason that this is sort of important is because this is also at the same time uh, Nintendo becomes the first to make and sell plastic playing cards in Japan. Uh, so they go away from the uh, handmade to uh, more of a manufactured type thing, and they're the first ones to do that. Uh, and the Nintendo right now is dominating the playing card industry in Japan. I mean, it's if you have playing cards, more than likely in Japan they were from Nintendo. Uh, in 1956, however, Hiroshi takes a trip to the United States to meet with the largest card maker here in this country. But this this meeting sort of has a weird effect on Hiroshi because as he's taking a tour of their building, he notices how, how small it is and how little the offices are that they work in. And he's blown away by this. He's shocked by this. And in his mind, this means that the, the playing cards have a very limited uh, shelf life and the business of cards must be very limited and they're not going to make near as much, money just from playing cards as he wants which thought. is an important thing to look at i mean at that point in time too uh they had been in the trading card business for 60 70 years it's and yes. this is this is what we were talking about at the top of the show that nintendo has adapted over time you, you got to really take into consideration what a business is completely built up on and you know it, how hard it must be to get away from that to reinvent yourself it's a huge risk that they took uh Oh, yeah. I mean, look when Coca-Cola tried to make new Coke. Yeah. You know. I mean, that's a great Burger example. Burger King of, making tacos. Uh, they, like the, this. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's it's a huge risk. It honestly is. Um, so, after this trip, he's, he's trying to think of ways to sort of help the business, right? Because he knows there's going to be this plateau when it comes to playing cards. Uh, in 1959, the first real... Uh, deal comes through when Nintendo and Disney uh, make a deal. Uh, who knew Who knew Disney was already making deals, crazy. huh? Just crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, N- yeah, Nintendo and Disney make a deal where Nintendo could print Disney characters on their cards. And while on the surface it sounds like, well, yeah, I mean, who cares? But back then in 1959, this was a major success for them. It's to the point where in just the first year, they sold over 600,000 Packs of Disney cards. Yeah, I mean, Disney was booming at that time, too. They're, they're about 20 years into, 20, 30 years into their lifespan. Mickey Mouse was, uh, you know, the most important animated character going on. And, I mean, that's a, that's a great business move to, to go into, you know, with Disney. Very, yeah. just very powerful, even from their early stages. And smart for both of them. It was smart for both companies, too, because it helps Disney with uh, getting more of a foot in Japan yes. as well. So it was very smart from both of their standpoints. Uh, in 1962, this was so successful that uh, Nintendo actually goes public. Uh, and eventually, eventually, though, however, just as uh, Hiroshi had feared, the card business would begin to erode. And Nintendo needed to find something, man. They had to find something to help them. And this is when they get they get kind of lucky. They get really here. creative. <laughs> 
1970, Hiroshi was going on a tour of one of their factories, one of Nintendo's factories, and he happened to come across a worker there, and I'm going to mispronounce his name too, despite the fact how much of a legend this guy is, Gunpei Yokoi, who was playing with an extended arm toy he had just made for fun, for himself. (laughs) So Gunpei had made this toy that's just like an extended arm, and he was just playing with it. And this fascinated Hiroshi to the point where he said, hey, why don't we develop these and release them for Christmas? And that's what they do. The Ultra Hand, as it became to be called, was an instant hit to the point where it sold over a million units. Uh, Gunpei would actually go on to become uh, quite famous in Nintendo circles. He would go on to make other hit toys for Nintendo. Uh, a lot of people credit him with success for Nintendo's handheld video games mm. stuff. So he's quite important. Uh, and also at this time, they were kind of started, thanks to Gunpei and others, they were making sort of a more of a high-end type of toys. Uh, think think now, you know, when we got you got action figures and you got like, you know, $30 action figures in, instead of $10 action <laughs> figures now. So, the, so at this time, Nintendo was the only company making high-end electrical toys. And this actually helped Nintendo a huge deal because since they were the only one in, in town, they can kind of set their own prices with it. And they can make as much profit off of these as they really kind of wanted to, and they did. So just kind of a smith, uh, a smith. It's just kind of a smart business move, not a smith. I like the word smith. I don't know. know I I roll with it. Okay, it was the (laughs) smittest business move they could possibly make. Uh, And let's kind of get to where uh, the next evolution, to borrow a Pokemon term, uh, that Nintendo takes here in 1972. This is when the first commercial home video game console was released, the Magnavox Odyssey. Think of it as more of a, it's kind of a, uh, it was before Atari, sort of an, a, a slightly more crude Atari, yeah, in a way. I, the, 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 just looking at the controller stresses me out. Uh, that the- <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good luck. Uh, so Nintendo, was they saw this system being released, and they knew it was going to be released in Japan, so how did they kind of uh, get their foot in the door? Well, that's easy. They buy the rights to distribute the system in Japan. So Nintendo technically puts out Magnavox's system in Japan at that time, which was a big deal. Uh, but Nintendo themselves were not actually making systems here. They were just making games. Well, they actually weren't even making games either. They were just distributing the system. Uh, but in 1975, Nintendo's like, you know what? I think I think we can make some games too. And this is where we get to where Nintendo becomes a household name for America, at least. Uh, They have their first huge hit in video games. Uh, The very first huge hit to sort of save Nintendo and was a humongous hit in arcades. What was it? We'll tell you right after this commercial. What's it like? to play the Nintendo Entertainment System. Just like that. that. For us, it was no time at all. (laughs) Is it an Endgame reference? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, for you, I know it was five years. For me, it was just five hours. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Uh, So this is where we're going to enter Rising Star. And now, this guy's a legend, honestly. This guy is an absolute legend. Miyamoto. He had this idea for an ape-centered game, and it actually came from the fact that originally Nintendo wanted to uh, make a game with Popeye because Popeye was incredibly popular yes, at this it time. Was. So they wanted to get the rights to Popeye, but they never could, so they had to go another route. Uh, Donkey Kong was released in arcades in 1981. Originally, Donkey Kong was going to be about Popeye, but they couldn't do that, so they changed things around. 
Uh, and Donkey Kong became humongous. It was literally in pretty much any arcade you walked into. And for kids today, arcades were buildings you'd walk into and they'd have video games there you could play. <laughs> for quarters at a time. Wow. Uh, I loved arcades when I was a kid. I did too. We had one at the, in Niagara Falls. We had one at the Summit Park Mall. Um, which, you know, just around the corner from my house. And it was called, I think, Aladdin's something. And, man, it was just loaded to the brim with games and it closed with the, or it closed a little bit before the mall, but um, yeah, those arcades were huge, man. It, it was I spent a lot of good times with my like my dad used to take us there on summer vacate, you know, we're on summer break, and he used to just go take us to, uh, to go play in the arcade, man. Lots of good memories. Oh yeah, same here. My parents would take me to arcades all the time. I had so much fun at those. I was just playing games with your parents. I know it sounds weird, but like when I was a kid, that was a it blast does. for you me. It's weird too because I talk with a lot of people about that sort of thing, and they're like, "Your dad plays video games." I'm like, "Yeah," and like that's so weird but cool. I'm like, "Is it?" <laughs> like I grew with it. Like it was such a common knowledge. And oh man, my dog just shit himself. Excuse me. <laughs> oh, that stinks, Prince. You gotta go, buddy. <laughs> that's bad. All right. Um. Oh god, that's on the couch too. Oof. Um, but yeah, that was a two- <laughs> our, uh, our audio, <laughs> major, major beloved dog, soil himself. Prince of the podcast how good we has officially shat himself. Uh, yeah, I'm talking to you. Don't you look at me like that. Um, that stinks. I bet yeah. he's ashamed. Uh, <laughs> or not ashamed. Or proud, depending on who he is. I'd be proud. He's a wonderful <laughs> young boy. Uh <laughs> So, so yeah, I mean, that was a common thing, or it wasn't very, it was a common thing for me growing up, but yeah, talking to a lot of friends, uh, they were like bewildered that I'm like, my dad's like, you know, considered to be considerably on the younger side of things. He grew up in that Atari era. He grew up in the Nintendo era. He was born in 1969. So uh, he graduated in 87. So he kind of grew up through all that, which is, which is pretty neat. But that's, you know, that's a story for another day. Yeah, I think sometimes we don't realize how lucky we may be when we're growing up with certain things, and that's one of those for me as well. Um, and also during this time, this is when the Game & Watch games would come out. Uh, I don't know, are you aware of what the Game & Watch yeah, games are? Yeah, they were actually, um, I kind of look at them as this, because I actually grew up in the 90s, well, growing up in the 90s, I played a lot of those Tiger Electronic games, and this yes. was, I think, yep. the yep. inspiration and predecessor. Predecessor those. to those, yep. Um, very yes. simple in design. The games were already preloaded, and and yeah, this was actually Nintendo. Uh, did I mean, this was a cool f- function. It, I guess it was inspired, um, I forgot who the gentleman was, but he was on a train, and he's seen a guy ki- passing time by playing on it like an, LCD calculator, which is really strange. So that's why he came. He, that's how yes. he came up with it. And in turn, uh, the the D pad actually came about of all this too, which was really neat. That yes. who would have thought that a, a four direct directional uh, D pad would you know you think revolutionary. Rev- would be revolutionary and, and you know it's something that's it was that's, honestly that fact is overlooked often uh, to this day. Yeah, and the Game of Watch games are also there's a, they made a b- bunch of these by the way. There's a ton of them uh, that you can still get today. You can still find them. Uh, my buddy Trevor, who I do Retro Bliss, another cheap plug for the same show, uh, he uh, has a couple of these, and they're a blast to play, honestly. But they're also obviously the predecessor to the Game Boy. Yes, yeah. Most importantly, that is that is uh, what is predecessor for. Yep. So this actually leads event- uh, eventually Nintendo would want to make their own video game system. Uh, I mean, it just makes sense, right? They're already getting uh, head first into video games to start with, so why don't we just kind of start doing this ourselves? So this is when, 1983. Oh, boy. What a year. That's the year I was born. Uh, That's how old I am. Nintendo Famicom, which stands for the Family Computer, was created and made and released in Japan. And this thing was a mega hit right off the bat. In two months, it sold half a million units. That's amazing. That's amazing. That's and you got to consider, too, the time period um, of that. Uh, 83 was the year of the video game crash. Uh, yes. Oh, I'm, I'm going sorry. to get to that. Yep. Yes. Yep. Uh, You're getting ahead of me, but we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're almost there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so they sold half a million units in just two months, but not all was well, however. 
Uh, you know, I remember when the Xbox 360 came out, and I was always an Xbox guy. I love the original Xbox guy. But I went through at least four or five Xbox 360s because I'd get the red rings of death. Mm, yep. And that's where the system would freeze up and lock up. Well, guess what? Uh, this was happening with the Famicom as well. It would freeze up, and they discovered that one of the chips they'd put into the game, I don't know what flavor it was, would lock the game up. It would lock the system up. And they had a, and Nintendo had to actually recall all the remaining Famicons they had on store shelves at this time. It was a major blow. Yeah, that's that's, well, that's tough uh, when you know, you're, you're trying to change the game like that. That's, that's never a good thing. I mean, Xbox, it took a hit with that Red Ring of Death, like you said. And there's been numerous systems, yeah. too, that have experienced bugs. And, like, that's... That's hard, especially for your first entry into it. Uh, and we've seen a lot of one and dones over the years uh, as far as consoles go. So this was, I mean, uh, again, another a testament to Nintendo kind of rebounding, uh, overcoming yes. adversity. And it's also, and it's also another reason why, uh, though it's tough because I'm like everybody else, I want to play these systems when they come out. But sometimes it's kind of best to wait yeah. <laughs> a little bit. Oh, I agree. Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, what was Nintendo going to do? So this is when Atari was obviously huge in America as our home video game console. I've played many an Atari game. Uh, but in 1983, as Matt had alluded to, the great video game crash happened. And this is basically because uh, Atari didn't have any sort of uh, system in place to control who released the games on their system. So, literally, anybody under the sun could just make an Atari game and have it play on Atari. It didn't matter who you were. It didn't matter if the game was good, which is far more important here. You could just release whatever garbage you wanted to for the system. And it diluted everything. Oh, it was hot garbage. A lot of hot garbage. Uh, there's, I mean, yes. there's... <laughs> I, I, I played some of those pieces of garbage, too, and... Really bad. Custer's Last Stand. Oh, play that God. one. Yes, I have. That's my favorite. That's my top ten Atari games. Uh, yeah, I gotta play that by myself alone at night with, with lights like, very dimmed, dimmed uh, underneath a blanket. Uh, but there's yeah. some other ones too. Like that. I played a Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs game, and it was just awful. Uh, a lot of the games of that time period were ripoffs of hits. King Kong oh, yeah. was a blatant ripoff. Of Donkey Kong, the original Donkey Kong, and you know, a big arcade hit, and they were also receiving very bad ports to from a lot of major games. Pac Man, yeah. Oh, Pac Man one it's is awful. So bad. Yeah, Pac Man's a great I example. I was very of that. disappointed. Yeah. I I bought an I, everybody was. I bought an Atari like five six years ago, uh, and Pac Man was one of the first games I got. I'm like, you know, compared to what I play on the computer and what I remember seeing in the arcade, and to playing this, I'm like, what is this? It's like it was. It, it doesn't even really look similar. It's pretty awful. No. Uh, yeah, but they, but Atari did have a few good games. Like uh, uh, Pitfall was yep. a great game. Uh, Adventure. Of, they, they, good games oh yeah, they, they have a legend. Yes. They have a very good uh, library. Just sometimes the bad outweighs the good. And that's because there was so much bad. They released a lot of stuff on here, and that caused a great video game crash to the point where nobody thought there'd be another home video game system. They thought that just wasn't going to work because of this. And that's and that's what kind of eventually destroyed Nintendo's plans of reaching out to Atari and having them help them out a little bit with this. Uh, the the great crash happened, and Atari was like, uh, we kind of got our hands yeah. full here ourselves. <laughs> um, so let's go to 1985. This is two years after the video game crash. Nintendo decides, hey, let's just fix our hardware that we have here and just do a worldwide release and we'll call it the Nintendo Entertainment System in America. So they take a shot at this. Uh, because of the crash, the Nintendo would decide that kind of helped Nintendo decide to make some decisions that I think really helped them uh, survive. Uh, they were very concerned about another crash happening if they get into this. So they're like, "Well, we're going to have a strict thing of uh, third-party developers could only release a certain number of games." Uh, that helped them out quite a lot. Though, uh, if anybody knows anything about third-party developers, they would kind of get around this by just uh, quote-unquote crediting other yeah. companies. True, other company. that is true. <laughs> Happened a lot. Uh, like Konami, for example, is a great example. Third-party, uh, if they want to put out more games, uh, let's just make another company and put out more <laughs> games for it. 
And you have, of course, uh, everybody knows the Nintendo seal of approval. That does not mean the game is good. Many an LJN game has that. It just means that Nintendo approved of this game being made for their yeah. system. Uh, this is this is what's pretty wild too. The Nintendo was actually slowly rolled out in America. It is only first released in like big cities like New York City before it was released all across the country. I didn't realize that. Yeah, they wanted to see how it would do. They were not sure again because of that great video game crash we had here. Uh, so I kind of understand that being cautious. I get that, you know. And it's also at the same time. And remember, we're gonna only getting a system two years after Japan had already had it. So that gave them plenty of time to make a little-known game called the Super Mario Brothers. And that's when this game was also released in 1985. And that's pretty remarkable because if you look at Atari games, and then you look at the first Mario Brothers game, the jump in graphics and just playability, looks yeah. and plays is remarkable. It's astounding, I mean, honestly. That's, I mean, that's a, that's a great point. It was a big jump. And it was only, what, two years, maybe? Uh Really, two years. Atari's really slowed down at yeah. eighty at eighty three, um, but I think one thing too that, that often you know isn't goes unnoticed is that Nintendo was smart by introducing the idea of a pack-in game, and Super Mario Brothers yes. was that for Nintendo. Uh, That's what came with mine. Yeah, it, yeah. It, there's various over the you know over the years. There have been tons of pack-in games, even just for the NES. It's it's been mixed up, but you know I think that's one way to get consumer confidence and that was really their goal they, they changed the business of creating video games uh, f- you know from the ground up and this packing game thing went huge um, and it worked very well it was very effective Sega eventually implemented it PlayStation I believe eventually you know tried it uh, amongst other companies that have attempted yeah systems systems today yeah. still do it so uh, they'll do they'll do little deals where there's packing games with the system. It's just smart. I mean, you, uh, it's it, you almost feel like you don't have to pay extra to get a game for it that comes with a game. That's always a, a something that will help, especially parents who are buying these systems oh, for their so kids. It's so expensive off the off the gate, and then you're, you're yeah. buying the system, and then the games are, you know, averaging like fifty, sixty bucks a game. The packing game it helps kind of like okay, we got we, you got a taste of it now you can. Now we can slowly start getting you new games. So yeah, that was that was a huge, really just a really revolutionary concept too, at the time. Yeah, and and of course Nintendo would go on to keep making other systems. We're going to get into that when Matt gets into our stat corner here in a minute. But uh, th- th- this system honestly saved vi- home video games, home video game consoles, and home video games because, like we mentioned before, I don't think we can just say how big that crash was of the video game crash in 83. It was huge. Uh, it was such a, I mean, it destroyed Atari. Atari was a top of the world at one point, making tons and tons of money. They were rock stars. Yep. And then this crash happens. And then look at them now. One, you know, they're, they're, they're still a company, but uh, yeah, they're know. not in the cons, the hardware business anymore. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> well, they, uh, they say they have a hardware system. Oh, do out they? Soon, I didn't see that news. Oh, it's uh, it's it's kind of oh, complicated. <laughs> but, but to Johnny's point, you know, it's he's he's right. It did save the video game industry and help propel it. You know, Nintendo came in, mopped the floor with Atari, and then you have other companies down the line. And I don't want to get too far ahead, but a lot of them came in to try and topple the giant that is Nintendo, and it just it. Oh yeah, I mean, famously Sega and the Sega, Sega Genesis at the uh, time, so, and going against the Super yeah, Nintendo. Yeah, so, Sony PlayStation yeah. was born was born out of out of spite. Uh, yes, it was. That's that's the thing too. Nintendo, despite all their successes, they've also kind of created their own worst enemies oh, yeah. at times. Uh, especially Sony, because originally the PlayStation was going to be both a Nintendo and a Sony product. Uh, Nintendo. <laughs> has always sort of... I love Nintendo, so please know that going in. I'm not just knocking them. I love Nintendo. But they kind of get full of themselves yes. at times. And they're like, we don't really need you. And Sony's like, fine. And at the same time, this is the first time they were going to get into like a disc-based system. Uh, and Sony was like, we'll just do it ourselves. And Sony did it themselves. And it became a great success. And as of right now, the PS4 is the top-selling system, I believe. Yeah, probably, I think maybe all-time uh, uh, already. or it's, it's getting to that point. 
Um, it's, it's it's pretty close. close. Yeah. So and so yeah, the, there, there's been a lot. Nintendo is to video games as WWE is to uh, pro wrestling, wrestling. I think is yeah. the best way to really look at it. You know, we we have our philosophy, and, and to their credit, uh, it's when they it's stubborn uh, when they change, but. Uh, overall, they've held on to their traditional values over the years when it comes to video game making, which is yeah. you know goes such a long way. Everybody see a lot of just a lot of things in all aspects of entertainment. They they flake, they they change up what they uh, you know how they present themselves. And I've always get given Nintendo credit for staying true to their values. Yes, and on top of that, they're also you know when it comes to their first party stuff that the, it's going to be quality at the very least. It'll be quality. It's rare that a first party Nintendo Nintendo game isn't good, isn't at least yeah. playable. You know, so uh, they, they've got a long history of that, from the Mario games to the Zelda games, I and mean, you name it. So Nintendo basically, you know, saved video games. Uh, if you love video games today, you have Nintendo to kind of thank for that, because if it wasn't for them, it would have more than likely all died with Atari. Which is it's it's scary to think yeah, of a world without it. That's it really is, yes. you know. It's been a huge part of a lot of people's lives, a lot of people's upbringing, and and who knows what would have been the prime, you know, a, a major source of entertainment for a lot of people if video games never, uh, never took off because of Nintendo. Yeah, that is hundred percent sure. So now I think it's time for us to get into Matt's stat, Arama. Yeah, that sounds good. All right. All right, Matt, what stats you got All for right. us? So I have a bunch of stuff, um, a lot of pricing. I, I, I enjoy reading, you know, going through pricing of, of stuff. How much was stuff back then? How much is it valued at now with when you incur inflation and, and stuff like that? Um, so what I did uh, over the last couple days preparing for this, uh, very, you know, easy stuff to find. I used IGN. Uh, amongst many other sources, as well as a U- the U.S. Inflation Calculator website, which is really easy to find, to uh, to kind of gauge Nintendo's pricing over the years. One thing that Nintendo has always preached, you know, aside from the family value, was being affordable, uh, and they've actually done a really, really good job of that so far. In uh, you know, it, well, to date, really, um, and to be honest, the most expensive console. Uh, over all the all time, inflation included, has been the NES. Um, we're, I'm going to run through what I'm going to do here is I'm going to run through every console, uh, major console, and then the handheld, starting with the Game Boy, as far as the original price, uh, and then I'm going to go over to uh, their inflated price, and I'm going to do the same for average game price as well. So I'm very excited. This is a cool for this. one. I, I like doing this. It was, I mean, it was very minimal work on my part. Just a little simple addition, and you know. All that stuff. 1985 was the debut, of the, the official debut of the NES. Uh, $199 was the go-to price, and it was actually stayed that way um, all the way through 1991. The, the Super Nintendo, 19 or 1996 with the N64, and even the GameCube was $199. That is the cheapest uh, major console price that the uh, Nintendo has ever produced. Um, not including handhelds. 2006, the Wii cost $250, and then 2012, uh, Wii U and Nintendo Switch cost $299. Now, at inflation, uh, taking into account like the year, uh, I plugged it in on this, this website. It's actually really cool to use and, and not hard to find. Um, with inflation, the Nintendo Entertainment System at uh, $199 in 1985 is valued at four hundred and seventy-four dollars and fifty-one cents in today's money, uh, which oh, well. is it's insane. We don't pay that. I think the most yes. expensive console around that price was the PlayStation Three. That was loaded up with, you know, and that was ten years ago. The, the PS Four and, and we and even the Switch doesn't even go for that much. Uh, I remember when the X the the Xbox One was going to be released, and they were saying it's going to be like a like four to five hundred dollars and at E3, 
and PlayStation, the reason that they kind of won that generation was because, hey, we're we're not going to yeah. cost that much. Oh, they, and PlayStation, yeah. uh, PlayStation's done that many a times. They did that with the original Sony PlayStation too. Um, so yeah, four hundred and seventy-four dollars and fifty-one cents in today's money for an NES. Nineteen ninety-one inflation counter. Uh, again, one hundred and ninety-nine dollars was the original price. Three hundred and seventy-four dollars and eighty-seven cents in today's money. For Super the Super Nintendo. Nintendo, so imagine paying that yeah. much for for that. It's just you know, it's it's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, these are beloved iconic systems. Absolutely, absolutely. Nineteen ninety six N sixty four one hundred ninety nine dollars original price, three hundred and twenty five dollars forty two cents uh, when gauged by inflation. I feel rich because I I remember I bought the with my my very first job as a young man was at a grocery store and I used one of my first paychecks to get a Nintendo 64 because there were wrestling games on it that I had to play. Yeah, all the great games, too. Great game, game library. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, 2001, the GameCube, $199 uh, retail original price, $288.46 with inflation. That has the, been the most affordable console. And I remember I remember that time period, too, because I, I was a PlayStation guy at the time. I my best friend at the time was a GameCube uh, Nintendo guy, and he was really excited because GameCube was simple. It was simple in design, yet efficient. Smaller CD discs. It was that that was their first you know gamble into using disc technology. It even had a handle, so you yeah, could take it, it was places. very very portable, which was really cool. Yeah. So it's kind of nice to see that you know over since two thousand one that they you know that inflation rate hasn't driven it up too much. Um, Let's see, 2006, the Wii, $250 original price, $316.90 with inflation, which I, you know what, to be honest, I still think the Wii is an amazing piece of technology. I probably would, I'd, I'd probably pay that, that much for it. Uh, 2012, yeah. Wii U, $399, uh, $334.13 with inflation, and uh, Switch, which just came out in 2017, $299 was the original price, $312.97 with inflation. So, like I said, most expensive console with inflation, the Nintendo NES, or, well, just the NES, at four seventy four fifty one, and the GameCube is the cheapest at two eighty eight forty six. Now, taking a look at the games and what I did, game prices have varied over the years, and it's been a big discussion. Nobody actually really knows how much a game is valued at. But I've seen NES games original pricing go from thirty to forty dollars for some of the lower end ones, and as high as seventy uh, with with some of their other ones. Even like the the still in the box, perfectly preserved package games are just insane. Um, the, the the pricing it, it's how how great it is. Um, so the average price has actually stayed relatively similar across the board. Um, and I'll just ju- jump right from average price to inflation. For the NES, the average game price was $50. Um, in today's money, that's $119.22 uh, for a video wow. game. So imagine yeah. playing you know, paying that much for Super Mario Bros. or anything like that. Uh, Super Nintendo, $60 was the average game price. $113.03 uh, was the uh, with inflation. N64, $60 average price with games as high as 70 and yeah, $70 sometimes, but $60 was the average. $98.12 in today's money. GameCube, $72, uh, $50 average price, $72.48 for uh, with inflation. The Wii, $50 game average, $63.63 uh, with inflation. Wii U, $60 game, $67.05 with inflation. And the Switch, $60 average price, $62.80 with inflation over the last couple of years. So, again, most expensive console was the NES in, in, from a historical standpoint. Uh, yeah, and we've also gotten to an era now where there's collectors when it comes to these older systems. Uh, so, kind of he- kind of going back to what you were saying about you can still find some of these older games uh, sealed not opened, and you can just go on eBay and look at sealed oh Nintendo game prices. They are, minimum, yeah, they're minimum. astronomical. Um, and yeah. I, like I said, I didn't start with my research just at the ha- at the the consoles too. We also have some hand handheld stuff. Uh, 1989's Game Boy, the the original Game Boy, eighty nine ninety nine upon release, so essentially ninety dollars, um, one hundred eighty six dollars twenty two cents with inflation, which is not too shabby. At all, I mean, considering the the tech not compared to now, it's it's not that great. But 
compared to the tech back then, to, to be able to play a lot of these games portably was huge. It was it was mind blowing. It, it was twenty five dollars was the average game price for uh, Game Boy back then, and that's valued at fifty one dollars and seventy three cents now with inflation. Nineteen ninety eight Game Boy Color sixty nine ninety nine, nice. Uh, <laughs> was the original <laughs> price for it actually that my favorite, favorite number. number. Uh, game Game Boy Color is actually the most affordable. Um, Handheld console ever. $25 again for a game price average. Uh, valued at $110.18 in today's money, which is actually really good. Thirty nine thirty five per game with inflation. Uh, it's not bad. 2001 Game Boy Advance. They bumped up the price a little bit. $99.99 uh, on that and $35 for game average. The console now with inflation, $144.94. Games fifty dollars and seventy three cents. That is actually the most expensive uh, game with inflation. Uh, Two thousand four Nintendo DS one hundred forty nine dollars ninety nine cents. Uh, for that, upon, yeah, two thousand four thirty five dollars per game on average. Uh, right now, uh, with inflation, two hundred and three dollars seventy four cents for a Nintendo DS, and forty seven dollars fifty four cents. Uh, game average with inflation. And 2011 is the last really major handheld console that was released for Nintendo. The 3DS, $250 uh, upon release in 2011 with a $40 uh, is the average game price. That is, with today's money, the console, $285.16 with inflation and $45.62 with, um, for per game so that those are kind of your stats and how much they've changed like it i alluded to you know the the cheaper and higher end ones and how much that's all changed but um overall i think just it, it's kind of cool to see all that um i do have some the the best selling game stats too if you want me to kind of run through that yes all yes, right please so do. what i did here i utilized uh i'm gonna say i, I utilized wikipedia and there were some other sources that, that went in hand with this too i did a lot of actually searching um uh, there's there's various sites. IGN is actually very big uh, with with game stats. They do a really good job over there. But the best selling games per console, um, and I, I differentiated it between pack in games and non pack in games. So the NES, uh, well documented, Super Mario Bros. forty million two hundred forty thousand units sold. And keep in mind it's a pack in game, and that's not including the Super Mario Bros. Duck Hunt. Uh, no, that's the one I had. That was my jam right uh, there. That does not even yeah. count those numbers. Uh, the highest best-selling game organically, without being a pack-in game, Super Mario Brothers 2 at 7,460,000 uh, units sold on that. The Super Nintendo, Super Mario World, was uh, your pack-in game leader. 20,610,000 units sold with that. The organically sold uh, non-pack-in game leader, Donkey Kong Country 2 at 5,150,000 units sold. N64, Super Mario 64, pack-in game, 11,910,000 units sold. Mario Kart 64, the non-pack-in game, 9,870,000 on that end. GameCube actually bucked the trend, and I think it helped keep them a little bit cheaper than their competitors. They did not include a pack-in game, but the best-selling uh game for that in that manner. Super Smash Brothers Melee, 7.9 million units sold on that. Going back to the Wii, introducing new technology with the hand the, the Wii remotes, which were really cool at the time. They they kind of had to uh, introduce a you know a, a pack in games to kind of get an overall feel for the technology. Wii Sports, 82.87 million units sold. That was their packing game. As far as organically sold, we play 28.2 mil. Uh, Wii U, Mario Kart 8 was that, 8.44 million. I don't believe Wii U had a packing game either. Um, and for the Switch, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe was essentially a port of that Mario Kart 8 because the Wii U was unfortunately a failure. It's, it's phenomenal, it's by the way. Great yeah, game. it's phenomenal. 17.89 million with that. And real quick with the... Uh, handhelds the original game boy was the only one to to mostly feature a uh, a pack-in game i think some of the other ones 
you could buy special Game Boys uh, with it, but the, the leader with that, uh, Tetris, 35 million units sold. That was a huge aspect of selling the, the Game Boy for a lot of people. Um, organically yeah. sold. This one, this number is mind-blowing. Pokemon Red, Green, and Blue, 31,380,000. It's only a little bit less than 4 million units behind um, that, and not being a packing game, which is so cool. Uh, Game Boy Color, Pokemon Gold Gold and Silver was the leader in that, 23,100,000. Game Boy Advance, Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire were the sales leaders for that at 16,220,000. For the DS, New Super Mario Bros. was the leader for that, 30.8 million. And the 3DS, Mario Kart 7 is the the sales game leader for that, 18.38 million. So that's kind of what I have stat-wise, you know, just... I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot, as the kids say, that is a lot of guap. Yes, considering we're at Nintendo at one point, we're on the brink yeah. of failure and bankruptcy, uh, I'm pretty sure they're doing all right now. <laughs> so now it's time for a little bit of Did You Know? So I've compiled here some fun little trivia about Nintendo. Matt, uh, let's hit the first one now. Uh, here is a... I'm, actually, I'm going to save this part for last. Uh, so let's, the first character to ever jump in a video game. I know it sounds like now if there's a character in the game, it jumps. Uh, but for the first time ever, uh, the very first one was Jumpman, a.k.a. Mario, in Donkey Kong. It's the first time a character ever jumped That's in a video crazy. game. I love it. That's cool, though. That's a cool fact. Isn't yeah. that wild? Because it just seems like it, it just uh, seems so it's, natural it's, now, right? As natural like, as the D pad. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, at one time, Nintendo wanted to release their Game Boy, but not just their Game Boy. They had this idea to merge it with a phone. So, they wanted the Game Boy to be with a phone. It would kind of been a Game Boy smartphone type thing. Well, before we had smartphones, mm-hmm. it never came to fruition. However, um. I, Nintendo's had some failures, so I guess they kind of learned from some stuff. <laughs> uh, including their, I can't believe I'm blanking what the system's called, but it was this system that was kind of 3D, but you put it in your face and it was all Virtual red. Boy, yeah. Uh, yep. Virtual Boy, yes. Uh, my buddy Trevor had one, and it was kind of fun for a while, but like it would get old fast, and they released maybe like 10 games for it total before they said, hey, let's kind of get away from this. <laughs> um, the NES would hold the record for the most total consoles sold until... The year 2006. That is mind-blowing. That's a big deal. <laughs> yes. That's huge. That is huge. Uh, the Game Boy was the first ever game console played in outer space. Uh, Russian cosmonaut Alexander Serebrov uh, played, of course, Tetris. I mean, what else yeah. was he going to play? <laughs> um, Tetris was a Russian game to start with, so... Uh, Nintendo bought the rights to two adult film parodies, Matt. Uh, these movies were called Super Horneo Brothers <laughs> and Super Horneo Brothers 2. The reason they bought these, uh, to keep them from being released. Uh, this company made them. Uh, this is all according to Mr. Ron Jeremy, who I'm sure is an outstanding citizen. <laughs> uh, but uh, he kind of looks like Mario in the face if he you does. just look at him. Anyway, uh, that's what they were... These were going to be real movies. Apparently, they'd already been made, and Nintendo found out about it, and they snatched them right up. <laughs> uh, they wanted to keep their image, I guess. Yeah. Um, the Nintendo Famicom, when it was first released, actually had a microphone built into the controller. And when the original Legend of Zelda game came out, which is a phenomenal game, by the way, you could actually shout commands to Zelda, like, uh, you know, slash your sword, and he would kill enemies. Oh, that's cool. Uh and this is in 1983, so that's pretty amazing. Um, and up until the year 2016, did you know that Nintendo actually owned the majority stake of the Seattle Mariners? I did not know that. That's a Major League Baseball team, for those who don't know. And they sold it in 2016 for $661 million. Wow. So they're just making money. Uh, but speaking of making money, they did have some failures, like we said. So I'm going to go through a short list of other things that Nintendo has tried to sell during their career. Uh, these include vacuum cleaners. 
Uh, but those apparently <laughs> suck. Uh, this... <laughs> I'm way more proud of that than I should be. Uh, of course, of course, toys. I mean, that's, that's, that kind of kept them afloat between video games and cards. Uh, they actually had a taxi company at one point. Um, they, uh, you know, when you go to bars, sometimes they have these love oh, testers. Yeah. You still see them at the malls. Uh, they, yeah, uh, they they made some of those. At one point, they tried to be competition to Lego when it came to building blocks. Uh, but I think the most infamous one would be their uh, short stay hotel chains, <laughs> or uh, let's call them love hotels because that's kind of what they were. And this is where you could rent a room by the hour, Matt. And I wonder what that would be used for. Pokemon card battles. <laughs> yes. Uh, the article I was reading was like, this is just so, you know, it was purely just so people could, adults could rent a, a room for an hour and just play video games. That's what it was That's used for, clearly, obviously. clearly, you know, got to play some Pong. <laughs> yes. Let's go upstairs and, and play Let's some play Pong, pong. Yeah. for an hour. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, just a list of some of the things Nintendo's tried over the years, uh, which I think you got to give them some credit for some of these. Uh, I don't know what they were thinking on some of the other ones. Uh, at some point during their career when they were making cards, which again, like I said, you can still buy Nintendo cards today. They still make them. Uh, they would actually put some pretty racy stuff on those, uh, some pretty sexy ladies on some of the cards at some point. So the fact that they had love hotels, if you really think about it, wasn't... A, you know, a major stretch. We just think it's a stretch now because they have such a family-friendly, uh, you know, clean, squeaky, uh, squeaky clean type of yeah. image that that just sounds really wild that they would have that type of thing. But they did at one point. At one point they did. So now I think we should, uh, Matt, we should try to get and talk about the effect of Nintendo on pop culture today. Uh, I mean, like we just said, they're still making systems. The Switch came out and selling very well for them. Uh, they're about to come out with new versions of the Switch, even. Uh, so I think Nintendo's here to stay for a long, long time. I, I it'd be, it would shock me if we ever had a time without Nintendo. I think so too. Uh, you know, there's been a couple times over the years where I was like, "Oh man, Nintendo might fold," and and. Uh, and yeah, it, it, it's 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 a scary idea, but of them not being around. But they've been so innovative over the years. You think of a lot of things that PlayStation and Xbox have done and done bad at. Well, Nintendo did them first. Nine times out of ten, they did that. Uh, you know, PlayStation Move came about after the Wii was released. Uh, the Connect, I think, came out. I mean, that was the, Nintendo had tried various things like that. Um, but Nintendo has always been the innovator, and they they appeal to a very niche market, which I, I, I think deserves to be a lot bigger, but it isn't. Um, but they're still around. They are not going anywhere. They're, uh, yeah, they're trendsetters. Yeah. I, I tend to find that PlayStation and Xbox tend to mimic a lot of things that they that they will actually have the have the quote unquote balls to go out and try that other places won't. And also they'll take their failures and kind of learn from those and become very astute to things. Uh like the whole uh you know, when a video video game crash happened, they wouldn't let third third parties only make so many number of games for their system. Uh that's pretty smart. That really lets you have a tighter control over what gets released on your system. And that's the one thing Nintendo is also notorious for. They're very hardcore when it comes to not only their image, uh, but like what they let people get away with when it comes to them. They will sue you in a second. They uh, oh, recently uh, they sued. I can't remember the name of the company. I should have looked this up before I started talking about it. But uh, you know, one of those sites that uh, would put in a, a put out emulators so people could play the old games. Uh, they recently sued one of those to the point where they bankrupt the uh, the uh, couple who ran the site and everything. Uh, they're not afraid to sue you. They don't care who you are. Uh, they also recently shut down a lot of YouTube channels that were just there to play the old Nintendo soundtracks from their games. They shut those down. 
Yeah. So they're not a stranger to that, which kind of rubs people the wrong way, which I get too. That would make me mad because it's not like they're sitting there putting out the soundtracks on streaming anywhere for you to listen to. Uh, they don't do that either. So it's really, it's really strange how Nintendo kind of thinks when it comes to some of that stuff in a way. Uh, but also, you can't blame them. It's 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 their stuff. I mean, they own it. It's, it's their, their property. property. You're never gonna see you're never gonna see Mario or or any of those characters on another no. system. And you have to be you have to be aggressive when protecting your your licensing material. Because if you let one person get away with it, uh, everybody's gonna think that they can get away yep. with it. And you have to be you have to be stern on that. And I give them a lot of credit for, like I said a few times on this episode, for. For staying tough on it, it's 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 very important business practice. Yeah, and it gets a little gray area too because some of the old games you can't play now unless you pay ridiculous money, uh, and that's kind of a shame. Uh, you know, they are they True, are re-releasing I, a lot yeah. of their first party stuff, but you know, like we'll never we'll never get a re-release of like Ninja Turtles three from the Nintendo due to licensing and all this kind of stuff. So uh, it's it's right. just uh, you know some of these games I think because of how Nintendo does stuff may get lost in the ethers at some point. But the, there's always going to be somebody who's going to be like, hey, you want to come over here to this side of the internet? You know, we, we kind of got it over here. <laughs> uh, so I think it'll always be around. Nintendo will always be around. Uh, they'll make sure of it. If they ever fail, it would be, like, monumental if they ever, ever fail. Oh, it'd be, it would be bad. It would be really bad. Um, but, but yeah, I don't foresee that. Unless there's an epic video game crash or something. And or, I think right now... They're always going to... They're, they're always going st- to... St- to distinguish themselves. The thing, like, PlayStation and Xbox are moving towards, they're, like, functioning very similarly. Uh, Yeah. So, but Nintendo doesn't. Nintendo doesn't do that. Well, they're kind of a little bit in that they are in recent talks with Microsoft to sort of bring Xbox Live or a version of it to the Nintendo Switch because I think they recognize that they, when it comes to online stuff, they're not the leader of the pack, not even close. Uh, to the point where the Switch, which I don't own one. I want one really bad. I just don't have one currently. Uh, but uh, their online stuff is... Uh, the best thing about it is they release old games on there every once in a while. And from the sounds of it. And yeah. it's cheap. Uh, it's very cheap. So that's the best things about it. But as an actual functioning thing, it has a lot to be desired. Uh, to the point where... I This blew me away, Matt. If you have Nintendo's online service, if I want to play a game with you online... Uh, the only way we can actually communicate with each other is if we download an app on our phones. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a real thing. Yeah. They have like set phrases and stuff for a lot of their online. It's really awkward. When like when like I'm playing my um, Xbox, as, as a yeah, I'm on. my Xbox One with my friends online, which I do all the time. I just put my headset on and we just talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's so much easier. Yeah, it's, uh, so the, but it's, I think they're starting to learn a little bit when it comes to that. I don't foresee a time when Nintendo doesn't release first-party games that you can only play with a friend in person, and I'm kind of glad about that, too, because I do miss those days. Yeah, that's that's been their biggest draw for me. That's why I keep coming back, you know. There was a good 10-year span where I didn't touch a Nintendo uh, console hardware at all, and now as I'm older, I appreciate that, and, yeah, I keep coming back. Yeah, and there will always be a – I think there will always be a new Mario game. There will always be a new Zelda game uh, for the foreseeable future, in my opinion. And the reason, just so everybody knows, the reason we didn't get hardcore into those subjects is at some point I would like to do an episode in each one of those. So I wanted to kind of leave some stuff for those episodes later on down the road. Uh, but Matt, that's all I got on Nintendo. I'm about Nintendo out. What about you? I'm 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 solid. I think we did a good job uh, on this first episode. I'm looking forward to doing more of these. Yeah, me too. Me too. We hope you all enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us. We very much appreciate it. On the very first episode of Retro 